Welcome to episode 36 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name's Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today, I'm joined by Tara Volker. She's a gaming accessibility program manager at Xbox, and today, we're focusing all on accessibility. We discuss what it means and how it affects players, how the industry has evolved to include accessibility, and areas of improvement going forward. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. We did Look it. Look at us doing technology. Who would have thought? Not me. How are you? I am good. It is a it was a really exciting and busy week in terms of uh, accessibility. Uh, basically, uh, tomorrow is Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is all about accessibility uh, evangelism, evangelism, and education <laughs> in tech. Oh, which means good. it's like the busiest week of the the year for me. But that's also why I wanted to come back today so that everyone could learn today and then tweet and look for all of the global accessibility awareness day goodness tomorrow. I love it. That's, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. I'm really excited too, because I think there's, there's a lot, there's obviously a lot to cover, right? So, but I want to make sure we, we start with the the basics and kind of move up through, talk about what it is, what it means, why it's important, where the pitfalls are, where we're still trying to learn all that good stuff. Oh, and you got the, the pup behind there. I love it. Yeah. What are you drinking? Uh, so this is actually just a tea right now. I have beer in the beer fridge. Nice. For after I finish my tea. Nice. So this is a lovely loose leaf tea. Actually, look, here's a pro tip for all of you tea drinkers there. Make your tea in a French press. You're going to feel compelled to make it in one of those like tea balls or little silicone tea bags. No, this gives a much more room to breathe, increases the uh, surface uh, to mass ratio to better... I'll let the tea expand so you get all of the flavors. You know what? That's just a freebie. It's not even about accessibility, but there you go. <laughs> it's making delicious tea more accessible. <laughs> exactly. 100%. I, I'm stoked because I found these cold brew cans of coffee at Costco, and I just throw that in a glass with some ice and some creamer, and I'm good to go. So, Have then, you tried the PBR, like uh, alcoholic cold brew stuff? No. It's really bad. Uh, really bad? <laughs> Yeah, no, I did drink some though. So for uh, when we did um, uh, GA Conf uh, Europe, I was hosting it, even though it was European time zone. And so when we ended, everyone was going to drink except for me. You know, it was nine a.m. So I was like, "Oh, I'll get this spike coffee thing," and it is not good. Um, <laughs> but I drank all of it. I drank more than one because you have to buy at least a four pack. I was committed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> hey, that's dedication. Even if it's bad, you're going to make it work. I like it. <laughs> All right. You ready to get started? Oh, 100%. All right. I, I'm really excited because I'm I'm looking forward to learning more about this, and it's the right time for it. And you threw out some acronyms and stuff over the last few days. I'm like, I don't know what all this stuff is. I want to know what these links are. Let's talk about all of it. But let's start Perfect. with what does accessibility in games mean? When we say that, what are we talking about? So when we talk about accessibility in video games, we're talking specifically about helping players with disabilities uh, be able to play more easily. And I always explain this as when you're making a video game, 
you're obviously going to introduce some challenge, some barrier the player has to surmount. And that's by design, right? You want to do that. But accessibility becomes important when there are unintentional barriers in front of what you actually want the player to do. Like if you're, you know, I always say if you're working on Dark Souls, like the challenge of Dark Souls is not supposed to be figuring out how to use your controller with the game, right? right yeah. And so you're moving all of these unnecessary challenges to let the player get to the core experience. Okay. And so what are some of the the most common types of accessibility that we we think about whenever we're making games and trying to accommodate for? So really the the big four things that like if you literally have no idea where to start that I highly recommend. Um, number one, remappable controls. Mm. It's really standard in video games, especially on PC, to allow players to remap their keyboard and mouse. But it's also important to let players remap their controller, um, especially if there's someone using like the Xbox adaptive controller mm. uh, to make sure that they can use a controller properly. So like if you're holding, you know, like I have a PlayStation 5 controller in my hand, if you're holding these controllers, like these buttons actually take in terms of dexterity, like the greatest range of motion and strength to be able to press. Mm. And so, you know, even if you're just someone who has arthritis, like that can cause problems. So like letting someone, you know, maybe instead of it being aim and shoot with the triggers, like let them do that with the face button or something and move a less important button back there. Um, the next one I always say is good subtitles, mm. uh, especially in narrative heavy games. It's uh, you'll have texts that are key parts of the story, but you can't read it. Like even right now in Resident Evil Village is a game I absolutely adore. The subtitles are terrible. Oh, really? So yeah. So the text is white. And when you're outside in the village, there's a lot of snow. So you have white text <laughs> on top of a white background. <laughs> which you can't read it. Um, so, like, making sure people can read it, it's a good size. Listing your speaker. Frequently in video games, you know, have people talking off camera or over a radio or something. And, you know, if you can't hear the game and someone's just talking, you have no idea who that is. Mm. Um, tech size. Uh, I think we've all experienced that a game is fine to play when you're sitting at your computer monitor. But if you go to play it on a console from your couch, you can't read it. Um, and then colorblindness. Making sure that you're colorblind friendly. Um, are are the big, like, if you walk away today and only go to do anything in your video games, like, start with those four. <laughs> I struggle with three of those. <laughs> because it, it, I, I use, I use uh, well, I'm colorblind, right? And I use subtitles all the time. And uh, what was what was the first one you said? Now I can't remember. Um, remapping? No, it was the other one. <laughs> now I'm already... Uh, text size? What text is it? Text size, size yes. Re text okay. size. Because that, that's one of the things where I'm getting old, man. I, I need to be able to increase the size of that text. So that's interesting. And when you were talking about the, you know, the remapping of controls, now we're doing even more things with like that controller you showed has different, you know, you can use different pressure on the triggers and, you know, like those kind of things for people that don't have the fine control, that's going to be near impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so. I mean, really accessibility is about... Um, customization like let me choose the setting that will allow me to play your game and maybe i use a different button or maybe i only press the trigger half down you know stuff like that like are does is your game really concerned with exactly what button the player presses or do you just want them to press a button you know if like so give them that flexibility yeah you want to talk a little bit about the road to here with accessibility because we've i feel like we're finally at a place where it's front and center as developers we talk about it a lot we're finally at least considering it and having conversations about it 
lots of room to get better, like across the board. But when I got into this industry, you know, almost 20 years ago, it was barely even talked about. And so like, this is a huge swing in that amount of time. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what that journey has been like for you and what you've seen over the last several years? Yeah, I would say that a lot of the change is much more recent and exponential. So it was years of nothing, um, you know, and kind of like a feeling like the games industry was gaslighting, like me as a person <laughs> advocating for accessibility, because it, it really did feel like for years that you were just kind of like shouting about accessibility into the ether. Um, and then it started to pick up. And I think there are really like two major instances that you can point to that really like impacted accessibility in the gaming space. The first was a piece of legislation that was passed in the U.S. called the CVAA, which is a Digital Communications Act um, that was came out of the FCC. Hmm. And funny enough, when they wrote the CVAA and it passed, they wrote it in such a way it just happened to apply to video games. And then after like the deputy director of the FCC realized that, they were like, oh, yeah, 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 we meant that. Yeah, now that it's in there. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. Um, and so for the first time, and it right now it's still currently although there is some stuff brewing in Europe, but currently it's actually the only piece of legislation that concerns video games. It was about accessibility. So people had to start talking about accessibility because all of a sudden there was a legal mandate around accessibility in the United States. And obviously, you know, if you're working on one game, you don't want to just release it in one country. You want to release it everywhere. Mm. And so, you know, you tend to cater to like the most restrictive country because if you make it there, then you made it everywhere, right? So that was one. I think the other thing was, and I remember this very clearly because I was working at Turtle Rock Studios on Evolve. Um, and I remember when the, uh, this video came out actually on a global accessibility awareness day. So when Uncharted 4 launched, the uh, Naughty Dog dev team did a massive, not only did they do a lot of accessibility in their game, they made it a sexy marketing moment. They had a trailer. They had a whole a section dedicated to who on their website. Like it was part of their press talking points. And obviously like the Uncharted series is impactful. And so Naughty Dog showed how successful it was. It showed how it expanded their player base. And then they got all of this great positive press. Yes, Louise. Apparently she's... <laughs> very um, demanding. Very demanding. Uh, and so like, I think that all really caught attention of a lot of other developers because, you know... Like, wow, like, look at what happened in Uncharted. And then, you know, even if you look at today, you know, they basically did the same thing again with uh, The Last of Us 2. Yeah. My dog is very aggressive towards them. I'm going to assume it's my neighbor's child is out front, and she is not very big on children oh. uh, in our vicinity. Yeah, she's not, she's not into them. Interesting. Man, I remember... It wasn't until I got to Volition around 2008 that we started having real conversations about this kind of thing. Because, like, I remember when I was, like, working on the Simpsons game and stuff, it was, one, it just wasn't commonly talked about, right? Like, it just wasn't something that came up. And usually when accessibility did, the, the question would be, how many, what percentage of our players does this affect? And it was always mm -hmm. a very low percentage based on, you know, what they said, right? And and so then it was always a, well... Like, I get the argument right at the time, which was like, how much resources do we put to something that's a small part of the base? When you're looking at it just that way, you're never going to make a change, right? Like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that that argument actually puts you into this uh, 
very unfortunate mindset. So if we take subtitles, for example, if you approach subtitles as, you know, what percentage of our player base is going to be hard of hearing or deaf? Um, and so they'll be using subtitles. Of course, you could also say what percentage may be playing in a different language, um, you know, or English is their second language or, or something along those lines. And if you did the math on that number, like it would probably look a lot smaller than the number of players who actually use subtitles. Ubisoft has actually been great about being very public with their telemetry. So over the um, the Assassin's Creed franchise, they actually started tracking subtitle usage. And the first number they released showed that in, and I forget exactly which stat each associates with which, which game, but in one of the Assassin's Creed, they actually found that it was like around 65% of players were turning subtitles on. So they found that they had more people using subtitles than not using subtitles. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, 65% of their player base isn't deaf or hard of hearing. Right. But the next thing <laughs> that was really interesting is like they looked at that number. They're like, oh, but if more people are using them than not using them, maybe we should just turn them on by default. Especially in <laughs> the latest Assassin's Creed. Uh the subtitles were on by default and they shared that, hey, like 95% of players just played and left it on. Uh, but it's one of the things that if you come at it from like that very narrow view, like you may lose out on these these people who could potentially have a better experience by thinking about it a different way. That's really interesting. I didn't know that they put them on by default. That's I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Um, and so we were also talking about, you, you were mentioning that um, one of the games had, oh, Resident Evil, the color of that of, and not having any you know, background behind the words themselves. Is that, did that, does that game have the option to change the color of the subtitles or anything, or is it just a straight on or off? No, you can turn subtitles on or off, and uh, yeah, it's just white. And, and in some areas of the game, it totally works fine, but if you're outside and you have white text over white snow, Louise! <laughs> Do I need to free you? I'm gonna. She's asking where her camera is, back? like Barley's. She says, "Look, if we're gonna do this, like, I need okay, a camera too." On. Oh wait, wait, wait! I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to turn <laughs> off my camera. I meant to change to her camera. I don't. Oh, know you have one of those too. Okay, nice. I do. You never mind. I'm not gonna try because obviously I'm not that smart. But she does. She does have her own camera. <laughs> That's funny. To just have the rest of the episode with her on there to be just fine. All right. So I think it's because the cat, oh yeah, the cat is like hanging out on the stairs, just like taunting her. Like, ah. I'm free. I get to go outside. You don't. Man, cats are interesting animals at times. They're, they're kind of assholes a lot of times, but. <laughs> yeah, no, that's accurate. My cat Leon is definitely an asshole. I love him and he is an asshole. That's what you love about him, right? It is. <laughs> All right, so you want to talk a little bit about kind of what's happening this month, like and kind of uh, you know like what what all what all this means and why this is an important month for accessibility. Yes, so uh, there are basically two big months that mean a lot to the uh, disabled community. The first is always the third Thursday of May, or in our case tomorrow, May twentieth, and it is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And it's a day uh, specifically dedicated to uh, education and uh, awareness raising about accessibility in tech, but also celebrating accessibility in tech, people with disabilities who work in tech, 
um, and all of that goodness. And what you're going to see, uh, you know, tomorrow is that all of these different organizations, and it's started earlier and earlier over the years, um, are going to be releasing all of their latest accessibility news. They're going uh. to be have featured speakers. I mean, we're going to have um, a post up tomorrow from Xbox about some of the awesome things that we have happening. Um, I know that uh, literally today, I think Activision had a guest speaker on accessibility for Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Um, and uh, Splash Damage in the UK was also doing it. You're just going to see all of these people um, take the moment to elevate and raise accessibility because um, it's really easy to have a conversation about it right now because there's so many people talking about it. So you'll be able to go and look at hashtag G-A-A-D tomorrow, and you'll see not only people from video games, but all sorts of other tech talking about accessibility, why it's important, how in tech and gaming we can do better. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a fun and very busy time if you work at accessibility. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I this is something I, that, that uh, I, th I think is important. It, as, as someone who's colorblind, I've, you know, dealt with this a bit over time. It's a minor thing compared to some, obviously, but it's, it's still something that as a designer through my time, you know, I would see things and playing the games that I work on. And I'm like, I can't even play my own game the way that I should be able to because of something like this. So it's hard to imagine from someone's perspective that has, you know, truer, you know, more restrictive disabilities uh, that wants to enjoy video games, but feel limited by, I can't play the the most popular thing out there right now because I can't hold the controller this way um, or, or whatever that might be. So what what is it about right now that has made it become such a, you know, such an important topic or, or talked about as much as it is? Is it just that like is, is there kind of other than the legislation itself, what's what's kind of kind of kept it pushing, do you think? I think one of the big things is that now there are actually people in video games whose job it is to do accessibility. Um, you know, even a, a few years ago, if you had asked me if I would have gaming accessibility as my full-time job, I would have said no. Like, mm. it was kind of something that I was doing on the side or working as much as I could into my own products. Um, but having a full game accessibility job, like, literally was not a thing. Mm. And now... Um, EA has it has a has a team. Uh, Square Enix has a team. Ubisoft has a team. Xbox has a team. And so now there are all of these different organizations that have literally, you know, invested financially into making their products accessible. And it's one of those things that all of us who work in accessibility and gaming, um, we all work together. We all share information because if we figure out something or we get a cool stat and we give it to another team, they can then use that internally to boost their own efforts. And so we are kind of in this, like, we're like a Katamari ball, right? Like we're just rolling and we're just picking up more and more people and we're hitting critical mass as we continue to get more people um, interested in accessibility. And now again, we literally have professionals who can dedicate time and resources to teaching other people how to do it, you know, and make their own little accessibility Katamari balls at their own studios. <laughs> is that, um, is there, what's the forum for something like that? Is it, um, do you like, ha with, do these companies get together in like, is it like a GDC type thing or is it like just, Hey, we've got a constant stream of communication going. What's that like? Yeah, so it comes uh, in a few different ways. So first off, 
we definitely have constant communication. Uh, a lot of us are constantly tweeting and DMing each other on Twitter, mm. but we also use stuff like um, the IGDA Game Accessibility Special Interest Group um, has a Discord server where all of us are at and we're constantly talking. But we do use moments like GDC is one for us, just the same way it is for other game developers. But also there are other conferences. There's JConf US, JConf EU, and then um, Accessibility Toronto, which all have uh, the first two conferences are dedicated fully to gaming accessibility. Um, and Accessibility Toronto has now has a gaming track. And so we all kind of congregate at these events and have these discussions so it's both like online we are constantly communicating and because right now those who those of us who have full-time accessibility jobs it's a small enough group that we still like all know each other and mm. so it's easy to keep track of everyone um but then we're we're bringing in more people we're bringing in more devs at these larger uh, conferences that are now springing up that you know have only been around for a few years interesting so we got a question in the chat. Should phobias be considered an important part of accessibility? Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, they definitely should. Um, I'm actually really pumped to say that um, I mentioned Xbox has some stuff coming out tomorrow. One of the things that we actually have coming out is, um, uh, I forget the official name of the document, but it's like a player experience guide. Mm. And it talks about barriers and facilitators that, different people can hit in gaming in terms of accessibility. And we actually have a section that is about people with, um, I think we used a more generic term like aversions because there are other reasons right. you may not want to consume content, not just because of uh, a phobia, like someone with PTSD or obsessive compulsive disorder may also not want to be exposed to content, but that's different than a phobia. But yes, no, allowing people to not be exposed to uh, uh, content that could be triggering for them is definitely accessibility and it's something that we as an industry need to kind of think more about i think that it's it's something we're getting better at like we're we're starting to get a handle on some of the basics as it were and now we're growing um but i can say for example in grounded they're uh, a spider slider that they have um i absolutely love that and i would love to see more things like that uh, occurring in other games. I know that one specifically for arachnophobia, but I think it's just a really good example of, you know, allowing users to tailor their experience. It puts cat pictures over spider-like enemies. That is brilliant. <laughs> that one's pretty great. So the arachno uh, the grounded arachnophobia slider, it changes it from something that looks a lot like a spider to like something that looks like an adorable cartoon blob. And so you can literally decide how spidery and how huh. blobby it looks. Like it's literally a slider of how spidery do you want this to look or not? Interesting. Ooh, I just thought of something I want to get your opinion on. <clears throat> Is there a thing as too much accessibility option? Now I want to, I want to ask this in a very specific way because I'm colorblind and I'm a Dutrope colorblind, but sometimes there's like, multiple options and sliders and and i don't know how to get it like for some reason i can't figure out where to dial it in to make the experience right for me so mm -hmm. like it like it seems like maybe we could have some kind of a mode that allows you to experience it as you're doing it or something instead of just like hey here's a bunch of knobs you can turn now go back and play and see if that feels better yeah so there Two things to break down there. The first is, yes, allowing players to be able to preview this stuff while they're in the menu 
um, in some way is very, very useful. Like the arachnophobia glider in Grounded lets you preview it before mm. you go into game. Um, so I, I do think stuff like that is really important. But yeah, we need as an industry to think more about how we're packaging uh, all of the options that a player with disabilities may use because some of them are things that um, players without disabilities also use. So we also don't want to like bundle them away too far because mm. um, like field of view, that's a really common one for people to change that people aren't like, oh, that's an accessibility setting. It definitely is and that it can help you not get motion sick, but that's not, you know, the same as, you know, very clearly changing something because you're colorblind. Um, I actually think Last of Us 2 does a great job um, at kind of bundling things together in presets. So they have some suggestions like, oh, hey, are you a player with low vision? We suggest you turn on these presets and then they oh. let you kind of start with that. And then you can go in and fine tune everything afterwards or turn other things off or on. But they, because they have literally over 70 options that relate to accessibility, they kind of <laughs> give you like a nudge in the right direction and then let you tweak it from there. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I've... I am actually, they're getting ready to do, or they, they either are or are about to launch the PS5 upgrades to that. That's what I've been waiting for. So I'm going to be checking that out in the near future because everything I've seen has just been above and beyond what I've seen anywhere else for accessibility in that game. It is, it's a reason that it won every award for accessibility in 2020. It it literally knocked it out of the park. If you um, have no vision, if you can't see at all, you can beat that game without uh, sighted assistance from someone else. How? Like what? How is that even possible? Like <laughs> oh, oh my god! It's so it's so beautiful and brilliant. Um, so first off, they just have really great sound design. So when you are uh, I mean, you have to think if, um, you know, a clicker is walking around somewhere, like you already know a clicker sounds different than a different type of you know mm -hmm. zombie, right? So first off, all of their enemies have unique sounds. Um, they have audio changes when you're indoor and outdoor. Um, but they also, number one, they have full menu narration. So you launch the game and there is a screen reader that can help you get through the entire game. And then in terms of navigation, they actually reuse sort of their objective um, wayfinding. So they um, in-game, they already know where they want people to go. They already have markers to know where objectives are. And they actually associated different audio cues with the direction you needed to go to get to your objective. Oh. So you can literally just listen. And as your character's rotating, being like, oh, yeah, that objective, it's, it's to my right. And then you can move towards it and kind of you keep hearing this noise and you can figure it out. But they also gave unique noises that you can turn on to different pickups and, and everything else. And so I could close my eyes and play that game. Like 100 percent. I think that <laughs> it'll take a little longer to get uh, since we as people with sight like are not used to kind of sure. navigating by audio alone. We'd have a little bit of a, a learning curve to get used to it. Um, so like I've seen uh like some of my friends who who are blind, like they pick on this up on this stuff really fast, and they're like, because this is how they play all the time. So I think for us, yeah, there would be a a little bit of like getting used to it, and then yeah, we would totally be able to do that. There's in the chat petition for me to play it blindfolded on a speed run. It would not be speed, that's for sure. But <laughs> I am willing to try it. I am willing to try it. That might be fun, actually. 
and probably frustrating, but it should be fun. <laughs> so what, what are some, uh, less common accessibility options that we're starting to see or that you're seeing need to be addressed more and, and haven't been quite yet? So I think, um, kind of the two biggest areas that gaming hasn't gotten great at yet, um, are low vision gamers and blind gamers. And I think that's just because when you think of video games, like literally video watching something is in the title. Yeah. Um, and so I think we've been kind of unintentionally exclusionary. But if you go and um, think about it, there are games that are accessible to both of those groups by enabling high contrast modes, which again, Last of Us 2 has a beautiful high contrast mode, or sometimes even just tweaking sound design. Like many fighting games are on the verge of being fully oh, yeah. um, accessible to people who are, who are no vision, um, especially because they're 2D, most of the sounds are 2D. And they just need like a little, a little bit of extra love to get there. But like mm. Killer Instinct and Skullgirls, like those are playable for people who can't see uh, the game already. Um, you know, even just recently, like literally two days ago, recently, uh, Gears Five were patching in some more features to to uh, make some new modes accessible to players who are uh, lower no vision. Um, so I think that's that's really where. Uh, as an industry, we need to do a little bit of um, improvement. And I think that's just because to, to most of us, like, again, we're, we're so used to looking, looking at video games that it takes a minute to, like, shift our mind to the idea that, oh, that maybe I can play this game without seeing it. What is it, Louise? <laughs> See, Skullgirls having the training mode screen reader accessible for frame data is incredible. Oh, man, that... Wow. Yeah, it's... It's interesting, like... I love how much we're starting to see these things that we would have even considered, you know, five, 10 years ago, 10 years for sure. And I'm, I'm wondering, is there a, what's the right way to say this? How does a team decide how much of this they, they do? You know what I mean? Cause we've got games of all different scales and types and some games are going to like, are going to lend to this more than others. How, how do you how do you suggest that teams consider what they should do? So I definitely think thinking about accessibility from the very, very beginning is key because there's a lot of accessibility that you can basically get for free that don't uh, impact your your dev costs at all if you just planned. Um, mm. So for it, like if we're to use the Resident Evil Village example, they already knew they were going to have subtitles because they're shipping in multiple languages they already, in a separate part of the UI, have a backsplash to add contrast for other buttons. Uh, you know, what work, added work at all, may, what it, would it have taken to pick a different color for the text or to figure out how to use that existing asset to put it behind? Like, that's a, like, cheap or possibly even free, mm. you know, maybe they just have another, you know, font color they could have used that was, like, yellow instead. I don't know. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, it's the same amount of work to implement those subtitles, but now they're good subtitles that help people. Right. So definitely thinking about accessibility first can just literally make you not make choices that result in barriers. Um, and then once you've kind of done that, like designed with accessibility in mind, 
you can identify these areas that you need to add a little bit of extra to. But again, with like a lot of things, like if you're making a 2D fighting game, you can probably just build the sound design in a way that it is accessible and it's not adding work. It's just you thought about it before you started implementing the system. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if we'll end up with like a tiered system, like the the the, the four you mentioned are in the top tier. They're like must-dos, you know, for everyone. And then the ones that are a little more difficult and become a little more rare come into that next tier and things like that. And it's it, I, you've you've hit the nail on the head with the it's got to be a forethought, right? Like you have to plan with anything if you want any of your any feature in your game to be something that you know is is a prominent part of it. You have to plan early. And this kind of stuff is something you can't throw in at the end for sure, and and it be any impactful way what you know whatsoever. Yeah, when you try to retrofit accessibility in, um, I actually like I had always told people, oh, getting doing accessibility from the beginning is easy, and retrofitting it is hard. I actually got to live that experience while I was working at Turtle Rock on Evolve. Um, we had several kind of key accessibility features that were missing and i was lucky enough to um get to be uh the producer on the team that was adding all these accessibility features in and some of the stuff was really easy for us to implement after the fact like remappable controls like we already had remappable keyboards and we already had all the button icons so it was just kind of like a copy paste all of a sudden we have it but other stuff like our colorblind mode we had made decisions on how things were um being done by the vfx artists or how things were rendering in game that like It was a lot of work that literally, if we had just decided to do it a different way, it had been super, super easy. Uh, so yeah, like going, like trying to tack that stuff on can be really hard. I mean, you'll, you'll hear a lot in the accessibility world, um, you know, accessibility is like trying to make muffins. If you want to make blueberry muffins, if you want to make accessible muffins, you can't just try to shove the blueberries in uh, after they're baked, right? Like you have <laughs> right. to incorporate them in the batter. Otherwise, this is not going to work. <laughs> now I'm picturing someone trying to shove blueberries into a muffin. <laughs> that, that's not going to be a well laid out muffin. That's for sure. <laughs> so what is something that, oh, shots are starting to come in. Oh, I was wondering. We'll I was wondering if we get through one without somebody sending me shots. <laughs> oh no! Like I like I said, I I have. I'm not doing shots, but I I brought a beer so I could at least nice like drink with you as you did your shots. Oh man, we did a community night last night where we just everybody watched funny videos and where you know these simulinks we watch funny videos and drink, and uh, I'm still a little tired from that. So this is gonna ooh, <laughs> care of the dog, right? yeah exactly exactly all right first one up cheers everybody what do you have there say ipa Mm. no i don't drink ipas i think they taste like soap no this is a blueberry wheat ale from backwoods brewing company um they are based out of carson washington interesting blue blue, did you say blueberry wheat Yes. All right. It's All like right. it's like a nice light. Um, I like it's been really sunny here recently, um, and I'm normally like a stout, really thick, like beer kind of person. Like if it looks, you know, kind of like the stuff that comes out of uh, what's his name's head in the Fifth Element when he's talking to the evil, you know, oh, yeah. like <laughs> like if it looks like that, I probably want to drink it. Um, but you know that's not great for like warm, sunny weather. So you know, 
then you know sw switching it up trying some other things that is definitely a a summer beer and and mm -hmm. i'm down i'm here for it although here in orlando it gets too summery and i'm not looking forward to the few months that are coming up that's for sure no mm -mm. Mm -mm. i always tell everybody i don't even have oh, my go ahead no, I was just gonna say, man, it, and it gets so humid. I couldn't even Ugh. have my hair straight during the summer when I lived in Orlando because it was so. No, no, exactly like Aaron is saying, <laughs> fear the Florida summer. Yeah. No. <laughs> it it is it's it's a beast and it's it's not fun. I keep telling people I want to have a summer home somewhere else so I can spend most. I love Orlando, so I want to spend most of the time here. But the summer, I want to be somewhere like Seattle. Or somewhere yeah, where it's like nice. The, the reverse of a snowbird. Right. I mean, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. We need a name for that. We really do. There probably is one. Two people <laughs> talking about swamp ass. <laughs> Two seasons, <laughs> summer and swamp ass. That is true. Yep. Yep. No, that's it. That's it. That's. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of good things here. Having multiple theme parks in my backyard is really nice. That's That's for sure. So, I mean, I still I still go and I visit Florida. Uh, my mom lives down uh, near Orlando, actually. Oh. Uh, so I'm there pretty frequently. I love visiting Florida. I love going to Florida and then being there and then leaving after a week. <laughs> That's my perfect Florida interaction. <laughs> I don't blame you. I get it. That was the way I used to feel. Uh, and I would come a lot. And then I realized I was coming so much that I was like, you know what? I should just be here. So that's where I'm at now. <laughs> All right. I digress. We, we, we derailed a bit. But I'm curious... Is there, is there something that you are like seeing happen more that you're excited about? Like something specific in this field that that's making you happy, getting you excited? Uh, so actually the biggest thing that I'm excited about is we're seeing the, the rise of, um, disabled content creators, oh. you know, streamers with disabilities and influencers with disabilities being a part of large marketing campaigns and getting nominated for, awards um you know the um uh, the the game awards obviously had a whole category for it but uh for for games but at the same time we're seeing like in the like canadian game awards like they have a category on like best personality for like content creators and like one of them was steve sailor a uh, blind gamer and accessibility advocate um even in the marketing campaigns that we've done at Xbox, like we've been like trying specifically to feature more gamers with disabilities. Logitech uh, has streams happening all this week of uh, gamers with disabilities, like Deaf Gamers TV. That's super awesome. And so for me, it's not only are we finally in a place where video games are becoming more accessible, we're getting better at embracing disabled gamers as part of our you know, holistic gaming universe. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I love seeing that stuff too. And I love when we, we take the time to celebrate things like that as well. And having this, you know, this time now, is it, is it the whole month or is it just like this, this week that kind of focuses on it? So it's, it's mostly this week and then you'll see it come up again. So October is, um, disability awareness month. Oh, okay. And so you'll see, um, a lot more general accessibility and disability awareness. So this week is again like focused like very specifically on tech, where October is like you know kind of like the equivalent of like Women's History Month or Black History Month for um, the disabled community. Okay, are you seeing mostly 
people and organizations being receptive to this now, or is there still some pushback in areas? Like what's the general vibe? Just, it seems to be pretty positive right now. Yeah, I would say um, most companies are very excited. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that in many cases, accessibility, you know, increases your bottom line and gets like brand favorability and all of these things, um, which has been really, really great. Um, really, the only place that's, that's sort of lagging behind is actually in the Japanese game development market. But that's just because culturally they interact with disability in a much better way, in a much not better way, different way mm. um, than like North American or European people interact with disability. Um, and so because their culture is different, it's it's taking longer to kind of like group there. Mm. You know, I kind of actually think that that's part of why Resident Evil Village. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. I was actually I was actually going to mention that before and I was I, but I, did, I wouldn't want to say that and then sound like an asshole. Like, you know, because it, it seems like through through a lot of things that the Japanese developed games tend to to still keep that no this is how it is type vibe and it seems to be a little harder to get that to change. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting because you you do see the North American parts of Japanese companies trying to influence the mothership as it were. Mm. There's just yeah a big uh, a big culture shift um, that really like japan as a society would need to make to snap to the the thinking and how we're approaching it here so yeah interesting what about other countries like or or you know the the big development countries like you know europe and places like that does it tend to to be more in line with the way we're heading or, or does it seem like most countries mm-hmm. are kind of getting on board yeah 100 percent. like i mean i think a great example is you know ubisoft is definitely leading the way in uh, a lot of uh, regards. Thank you, Louise. <laughs> I appreciate your squeaker toy. We can barely hear her, by the way, so she's not bothering us. Oh, oh my god! For me, it's so loud. I'm so glad that my <laughs> microphone is not like picking it up because it is like I have noise canceling headphones on, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> she's just trying to be involved. You can't blame her. Oh, I know, I know. I want to pour this other shot while. Oh yeah make it happen that's right so um what is where do you kind of find this information like how do you become an expert in this field or someone that that feels like they're kind of caught up on what's going on yeah so there's definitely a few places you can go to get information so if you're literally just looking to start learning about everything you can do as a game developer in terms of features to implement i highly recommend the Xbox Accessibility Guidelines, oh. you'll hear me call them the Zags a lot. It's like a list of like 25-ish things that you can implement in your game with kind of like very specific details of like, for subtitles, you should have your text be this many pixels high at this resolution. Like, so you literally, a lot of that like very crisp, clear stuff that you can just read and implement into your game. Um, you can also read um, the Game Accessibility Guidelines, which is a like larger collective that has actually gone through and gotten similar things together. But what's really nice is before you talked about sort of like this, like category of easy, medium, hard, um, the game accessibility guidelines are kind of already bucketed like that. Oh, nice. And then honestly, um, find gamers with disabilities and just talk to them, hear their stories, 
I, they know what works best for them. And uh, so many of them are completely professional and you can use them as a, a resource. There are a lot of accessibility uh, people who do contracting work um, and will do consults if, if you just ask. Okay. Interesting. So um, are there any, or I know there are, but who, who are some content creators that you would recommend people follow? Uh, so I recommend uh, Steve Saylor. Uh, he is a gamer with, uh, so he is legally blind. He has some vision, but it's very low vision. He both uh, streams um, and makes YouTube videos. He's super awesome. On Twitch, he's just Steve Saylor. Mm -hmm. um, I recommend um, Deaf Gamers TV uh, on Twitch and Twitter. He is a Deaf Gamer, super awesome, super funny. Um, I love Steve. Steve is, I absolutely adore him. Um, we're, we're actually a streaming to the Xbox channel together, Steve and I. Um, so definitely, uh, check out them. Uh, uh, who, who else? Uh, oh my gosh. Like normally I can list off like 20 people, but I think my brain is just a little, uh, Right today. Oh, you're all good. And I'm sure you'll think of more as we talk too. <laughs> oh, as soon as soon as we end, I'll be like, oh my God, how did I forget? <laughs> well, the good news is whenever I go post this as the podcast, you can go and add them in there too, or we can put them in the show notes. So that'll be good. Oh, yes, perfect. Because there there are definitely so, so many. Um, and honestly, if you're looking for a website where you can read reviews by uh Gamers with Disabilities, I highly recommend the website caniplaythat.com. Oh. It's literally a site that's just full of reviews done by gamers with disabilities on what does and does not work for them in a game. So you can go and check out what they're uh, what they're writing about, what barriers they're facing, and then you know figure out how you can prevent that barrier from appearing in your game. Awesome. So I want to... I want to talk about the adaptive controller soon, but first mm -hmm. I want to ask, is there a, a controller that is generally thought of as the worst accessibility controller that's ever been made? You know, like, is there one in your, in your circles? That's like, they weren't thinking about anybody when they made that thing. Oh man. <laughs> and there may not be, I was just curious if you're like, Oh man. No, you no, know. No, no. So a lot, a lot of them are, are pretty similar. I'm thinking like I bet like the Duke, like the original giant Xbox controller. I couldn't like, use that, that one thing. Would have been pretty bad. That thing is huge. It it's is huge and heavy. Yeah, somebody <laughs> said the Duke in the chat. <laughs> so like my my first thought is probably the Duke. Yeah. Um, but I think by the time we were really talking about accessibility, like the the next generation Xbox controller, um, you know, for the 360 was obviously significantly smaller and lighter. But the Duke would have been. Mm, that'd have been a rough one to try to play with. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think the Xbox 360 controller is probably the best standard controller that's ever been made. Like I, I love that controller. Um, and it's funny that they would go from one that's, I, I couldn't even play with that thing. And then now, and then over to something that, that felt so good. So at least they were taking the Actually, feedback, right? <laughs> I love um, the controller we have for the, uh, the series X S where is mine? I have like 50 million controllers just scattered around. <laughs> um, so the controller for the series, where, where did I put it? You know, what? it's fine. 
Is it? I, I have an. I don't have a Series X yet. I have an Xbox One. Is the controller? I thought it was very similar. Is it not? Or? It is very similar. Okay. But there have been some key changes made oh. to make it even better. Um, so number one, the I wish I actually had the the actual one with me, but I can demo on. So with the uh, the new controller, some of the things that have been changed is actually the triggers are um, they you don't have to have as big a range of motion. Mm. It's actually a little bit smaller. Um, so for people like me with small hands, um, it's easier to hold and it's done that by kind of like changing just like slightly the shapes of, um, like the hand grip parts. There's also now more texture on the back to make it easier to hold. I, there's a whole bunch of like small changes that were made that resulted in a controller that like a lot more people could hold more comfortably. Mm. Um, and so I actually, I love the new controller. I like it, uh, you know, m mostly because it, it fits in my hands so much nicer than uh, uh, than our last generation's controller. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that different. I mean, I, as it was coming out the same time as the PS5, the differences in that controller were what shined or what I oh, heard yeah. the most about, which that controller is great. Like, I really like the PS5 controller. Um, I'm curious, so... I see this a lot with uh, with esports players, especially Call of Duty players. They have a whole new grip style, this claw grip. Have you seen this? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and of course, they're just using the standard controller, but they're holding it in such a different way so that they can access the <laughs> claw is the law. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's funny because like I didn't really notice it until I saw these guys doing it, you know, in front of me, and. I wonder how much of, of this is going to be, it's, it's essentially an accessibility thing, right? Like they, they have to do, hold it a different way to, to do what they want the game to do. I mean, what's interesting is like, I've, I've thought it's really interesting that people are looking at this now and being like, Oh my God, look at the, how they're holding controllers. But if you go back and you look at like competitive Tekken players who chose to use a controller over a fight stick, literally years ago, they have been doing this claw motion to do this. So like, it's not a new thing. I think it's just new yeah, to yeah. non fighting game. Players. Right. Right. Um, but it really is like, how can I optimize <laughs> getting my fingers to these buttons and being able to use that range of motion to like do as fast as inputs as possible. Um, and like that, that literally is what gamers with disabilities do just for, you know, different reasons. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of times. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, Angry Spartan says I used to play with the OG Nintendo with the controller upside down. Are you left-handed by chance? And also, that's something we've never addressed with a controller, is that left-handed players would really want all that stuff swapped, right? I would think. Yeah, so we actually recommend um, when doing, like, uh, remapping and stuff that you also give the uh, the ability mm. to... Um, oh, my God, what's it called? Um Southpaw to get oh, Southpaw, where yeah, you yeah. basically swap uh, everything. Um, but you know, also if you can just change all of these buttons, like you, you can literally invert the the controller fully. But we like to give people the option, like literally, how do you want to play? Let's make that happen. Gotcha. And there's just so much to think about with this, and 
it, it can be a little overwhelming to think about, honestly, when you're not used to thinking about it. Cause like now my mind's reeling of like, Oh, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and those are just things that, that I could see myself potentially dealing with. And it's not something that's, you know, like a true disability or something that, you know, someone has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, um, what are, what are we doing for like hearing impaired people? Like other than, you know, cause like so much what you were talking about before, you know, really, really, uh, moving in on things that are, you know, for people that can't see hearing is, is the way to go. What, what do we do for people that have difficulty on the hearing side of things? Yeah, so for players who are deaf or hard of hearing, it's about making sure that they can get that information um, in in another way. So I always say that there's a three-step process to playing video games. Like step one is receiving information, and Mm -hmm. that's what can you see or what can you hear. Um, And actually, I guess, you know, tactically, like from haptic feedback and whatever, like what information can you get from the game? The next step is processing and determining a response based on all that information you just got. And then the final step is decide, like, inputting back into the video game. So I see and hear things, I think about what it is, and then I use the controller to input back. So if you're someone who is deaf or hard of hearing, you may not be getting all of that information auditorily, and so you will need it either visually or through haptics. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to put like a whole bunch of text all over the screen or anything like that. Um, even examples like uh, in Fortnite, they have the uh, audio wheel, which mm-hmm. you know, shows you directionally where people are walking. Because you have to think if you're playing a game and you hear someone walking behind you, you want to turn around and shoot them. Um, but if you can't hear them, you aren't getting that information, so you can't decide to turn around to shoot them, right? So figuring out other ways to give the player that information. I mean, and other examples are like, Remember way back, the old Silent Hill games, they would have that radio that would make the noise when there were enemies nearby. In later Silent Hill games, in addition to having the auditory sound of the radio, they added sort of an on-screen kind of Mm. film-grainy effect that also let you know that these monsters were nearby. So, you know, kind of basically duplicating information via multiple channels, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It's interesting, too, because, like, when you bring up the, the Fortnite thing... So I'm someone that also deals with anxiety and I've been realizing later in life that that has had a, a pretty big impact on my ability to play, to play games. I'm really bad at like for multiplayer games and things that need like really quick reactions and stuff like that. I, I get overwhelmed very quickly. Um, and so like nice. having those kind of, I can see some of these things that weren't necessarily intended for, for that situation could be very helpful to me. I need to start exploring some of that stuff and seeing if it helps, you know, my ability to play some of this stuff. I mean, I think that we really need to look more into uh, kind of investing in in these spaces. So uh, not to sound like a Microsoft shill, but we have this uh, <laughs> this process called inclusive design, which is you solve for one, like a very specific person, like maybe in this regards as a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, and then you extend the solutions to multiple people. So hmm. for example, by having good captions for someone who is deaf, you're also going to let someone who is perhaps, you know, using xCloud um, on the go on a bus who maybe can't hear their game oh, well. Yeah. Or, and that, like, you know, you you find and, and, and people it suits. But there are so many things that we use today where we are the and and we don't realize it. Like electric toothbrushes, first developed specifically for someone with a mobility uh, disability. 
the the keyboard the typewriter was initially made for a blind person who wanted to be able to write letters even the text touch screen technology that we use in our phone today was developed for people with disabilities and then we became the and and we were like holy shit this is cool <laughs> and we've incorporated it into our daily lives like we need to have that moment in video games where someone thinks of that cool feature and then we get to extend it yeah, it's almost weird to not have a touchscreen now. Like, it feels like every screen should already be one. It's really interesting. Exactly. Man. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the adaptive controller now, uh, because that thing is incredible. And uh, I first saw it a couple of years ago. Um, there was a accessibility thing. At, uh, there was like a special not spe the there was like wheelchair games, and it was some, I can't remember what it was called now. Here at the convention center, and we had full cell went down and had a had a booth set up, and they brought in. They had the Microsoft came and, and brought these, and I was like, "This is incredible!" And it's so simple. Like what it does is so simple. You want to talk about it and show it? Oh, you, I love it. Yeah. No, this is so fun fact. This is actually uh, one of the pre-release prototypes. Um, so it's special. So yeah, basically, uh, what we found out was happening with uh controllers was that for people who needed to use different buttons um actually, so for example um big old buttons like this uh are really common um, when setting up a custom controller setup and so people were taking their standard controller cracking them open and then you know basically running a bunch of wire out of them so they could hook up switches like this one and what was really interesting then and unfortunate was like, number one, there weren't a lot of people out there who um, could do this and do it enough to help a large group of people. Number two, it voided the warranty on the controller when they did that <laughs> because you know they've ripped it open. And number three, if anything happened to it, like they were screwed because it was a custom made one off. So because we found out that, number one, the most two frequent things that people were wanting were two big buttons. We literally just put two big buttons on the front. But then we also went and across the top of it, every button that you find on a standard Xbox controller has a 3.5 millimeter jack input. So, uh, you know, switches like this that people are already using at home, they can literally just plug directly into this controller to set it up however they want. And then we also, it comes with like three different profiles. So like, let's say that you want three different setups for, you know, some of your favorite games. Like we just store it on here and you can quickly switch between them. Um, and then, yeah, it, we made it look sleek, right? Like we wanted it to be a sexy piece of, of hardware. Cause unfortunately so many of these custom controllers that gamers with disabilities were using, like they were atrocious looking. They looked like <laughs> medical monstrosities because you know, they had ribbon wire and these switches and like, you know, exposed circuit boards because someone ripped open a regular controller and we were like, no, we want we want it to be slick. Like we want someone to buy this and be like, fuck yeah. Like I've got a nice piece of Xbox hardware. Yeah. And that that piece is what ninety nine bucks, I think, right? And mm -hmm. so do does Microsoft also sell the attachment buttons and things like that? Or how does someone go about acquiring that stuff? Yeah, so we do sell um, a lot of the buttons and uh, stuff that you can buy. But honestly, I recommend getting this set that Logitech put out. 
So oh. sometimes getting a lot of these buttons can be expensive. Logic Tech put out a bundle for $100 that comes with like 20 different types of buttons and switches that all work with this thing. Um, which is also great because, you know, you may want to demo it a few times or maybe you find out for one game you like this setup and this other game you like a different one. Or maybe your needs change over time. Um, so if you get this pack, you can kind of swap them out as you want. Um, so I actually really recommend the Logitech bundle. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at that now. Th that is interesting. I want to throw a link to this in the chat. Uh, that so and does and I assume this works for all Xbox consoles, like any all the current ones that are out there. Yeah. So uh, basically the inside of this controller is just an Xbox Elite controller. Um, so like if your Xbox Elite works there, this will work there. So you can okay. use it on um, the Series X or S. You can use it on the Xbox One and you can use it on PC. Interesting. Yeah, this is, oh man, there's there's so many different kinds of buttons and dials and man, this is great. Is that a, is, there's one that looks like a, when they take like your pulse. Uncheck? Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. that. <laughs> well, so there are so many different types of switches that people used out there. Um, there are even switches that will work with the Xbox adaptive controller that are proximity switches. So like you don't even actually have to touch them. You just have to oh. get close enough to them and it sends the signal. Like if it has a, a 3.5 millimeter jack, like you could probably stick it into the adaptive controller and it work. Huh. Interesting. Now this has got my mind reeling a bit about uh, on location type things that, that could be built and just using this as the make a, a pretty elaborate controller setup for it and have accessibility in mind. Hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Interesting. That, uh, and um, is it, is it Ian Hamilton that, that you worked with on this? Is that right? Uh, so Ian Hamilton is a accessibility um, expert who did a little bit of consulting on this. Um, okay. But Ian is my uh, co-conspirator, as he likes to put it, for the uh, Game Accessibility Conference. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, I love Ian. He was just harassing me this morning for, I don't know, I have to buy gift cards and I haven't done it yet. So... <laughs> It's gift cards for our volunteers for the conference. I have to send well, them nice. the gift cards to thank you for working the conference. And I just haven't done it, as Ian reminded me this morning. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what haven't we touched on yet? What, what else is in your mind that you want people to know about accessibility? Um, I guess really the only other thing, it's not so much accessibility as representation. Okay. Um, you know, just like any other group of people, um, you want to be able to see yourself in video games. And so, you know, think about how can you have representation of people with disabilities in your game, um, you know, to, to help them, you know, see themselves in their favorite media. Unfortunately, um, and not just video games, but a lot of entertainment, there's some really negative tropes around disability. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the person who's disfigured in some way is always the evil villain. Of, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like when was the last time you saw an eye patch on a character that was good? It's like a really good point. Yeah, it right? really is. Um, so also, you know, when you're creating characters, just think about maybe the message that you're sending. And you know, you know, we can have good examples of characters with disabilities. Not every character with a disability needs to be some evil villain or resent their life. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who. Uh, 
em embrace their disability as part of their identity. Um, and some people are even uh, proud of what their disability has done for them. That's not everyone, but you know, there are people who feel positively about their disability in some cases. You know, don't always make it like really, really bad. Like, you know, the trope you always see is like, oh my God, I was in like insert accident and now I can't do the thing I used to do before that I loved. My life is over. Like, that's not true. There are plenty of new things you can do. There are things you've never explored. Like, it, yes, it, it's going to suck. It's going to be a change. But like, you know, maybe we could be a little less like dramatic because for some people that is their lives. And you know what? They don't like feel like the world is over. They're living their best life. Yeah. And often have a level of determination that I don't see in most people I know. You know, like that's uh, it's it's interesting to see how how a lot of people in those situations really just embrace it. They, they have to, right? Got to figure it yeah. out and they do. And they're, they're living their best life. And I love it. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. So what is your agenda over the next couple of years? As far as like, what do you want to see get better? What are you focusing on? What are you thinking about? For me, one of the things that I really want to have the industry do as a whole is sort of kind of get consistency in accessibility. Um, you know, for gamers with disabilities, this is still like a massive landmine. Um, a lot of times a gamer with disability goes to buy a game and will literally have no idea if they can play it until after they've already bought it and tried it out, um, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than sinking $60 into a game just to find out you can't even play it. And if you bought it digitally, like, good luck returning that. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think over the next few years as an industry, um, we need to help players with disabilities make informed choices. Um, you know, tell them what is or is not there so they can decide if they want to invest that money. Um, I think that we need to work on, you know, making some things standard, like... You know, we're talk I have literally been using the same slide for 10 years about subtitles in video games. We already have data from television and movies about what makes a good subtitle. Like as an industry, we should just learn from other areas and take their research and then implement them. Um, you know, just the data's there. We just gotta take it, right? Yeah. So I think uh kind of putting a baseline on some stuff that is pretty straightforward, like you know, that isn't a creative you know problem something that is literally just like we should probably have our text be this big for subtitles and not white on a white background like not rocket science stuff right and so do you think that that's going to be is are we going to create a bible you know what i mean like are we going to create a standardized set of rules that that we start to follow as an industry that are almost that that are literally like you you must do these things if you want to be accepted you know i so I don't think that, especially with like the trends, um, not just at Xbox, but uh, with all of the platforms and kind of reducing the amount of stuff you have to go through at certification, like I don't see something like that getting introduced. I think the flip of, um, you know, if it's more easily able to identify the stuff in the store, um, like being able to elevate games with accessibility and make them more visible and therefore they get more purchases because more people are seeing them. Um, I think that we can push, you know, games as a whole to just start making those choices uh, by 
you know, kind of saying like, oh yes, this game has subtitles that meets these requirements. Right. Like a sub to have subtitles, you have to X Y Z, and then you get another thing that people could find in the store. You know, stuff like that. Um, it's almost I, like I an ESRB for accessibility, where I yeah, you can look at the back of. of the box and be like, oh, this there's a chance I'm actually gonna have a shot at this. Like exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I I mean. I guess one good thing is I think most of us these days have enough preview options out there to be like, when I'm, when I'm looking for a game, if I'm, I almost always go check out some kind of preview, right. To be like, is this something I'm really interested in? That kind of thing. I'm assuming there's people out there that are now doing that with the accessibility kind of focus, right? So you can go and see, Hey, is this something that that is going to be okay for me? are definitely people who are doing that with you know for example i mentioned can i play that earlier dagger system is another one that's doing it um but i actually think that subscription services both like playstation now and game pass are actually great ways for gamers to get to try on their own um for longer periods of time to figure out if they can play a game um and it's actually a lot more cost efficient you know the price of you know buying one new game for 60 dollars versus having these subscription fees like the amount of things that you could try mm. um, is much more economical. That's um, true, yeah. So I, I, I think figuring out how to, to allow people to literally try more, more games, because unfortunately one of the, the problems that happens is like, hey, maybe the first um, two hours of the game is completely accessible to you. But on hour three, they introduce a new feature and all of a sudden you can't play anymore. So by kind of unlocking the full game for people to be able to play as far as they can, um, you know, I think we'll get a lot more information and people will be able to try a lot more. And then again, like, you know, being like, oh, well, this was one of the 100 games I could have tried. I can't beat it. I'll mm -hmm. try something else is a lot less of a negative impact than, wow, this is the one game I bought for this month. Yeah. And I can't play it. Man. Well, you're just adding another check mark to the reason I say Xbox Game Pass is the best deal in gaming. Like bar none. Like it is it is absolutely fantastic. And like giving people that option of just being like, you know what, I tried it. It didn't cost me anything extra. I didn't get very far, couldn't really deal with it. It's a no go for me, but I'll try something else. That's that's a big deal. Exactly. From the development side of things, so we do a whole lot now with, you know, uh, getting information about, about the games sent back to us, right? So we know people are dying here, this part of the game, people are stopping. I wonder what we could do to, to, uh, to gather information about our players that are having difficulties because of accessibility. I wonder if we could add some options where they could checkmark things and say, here's my struggles. Now the information you're getting, you know, shows, you know, where those struggles are, are bothering me. I actually highly recommend that everyone check out um, a talk that the community manager from Remedy Games did, uh, Vida. Vida. Um, she did a talk about the implementation of the assist mode in Control, which they patched in after launch um, for the PS4 and Xbox One, and then it was just in the versions that came out on the, the next-gen consoles. They implemented a bunch of accessibility to see what assist features people were turning on and whether and when they turned them on and whether or not they completed the main campaign. Hmm. And 
it was an amazing talk and it basically showed like hey people who were able to turn these things on and customize it like actually more people were beating the game they stuck around longer they were stickier players uh than those who never tried to turn them on um and this was all like people who just happened to find it because when they patched it in it was just like in patch notes somewhere right there wasn't like a marketing huh. a thing around it but there, there's actually a really really great talk that um they, they they had so much telemetry and it was so uh it was so useful um that's on the uh, uh iga game accessibility sig youtube um super great talk okay I will check that out too. That is interesting. I man, this I love talking about things like this just because it gets my 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 developer mind starts to spin. Where I'm thinking of like, oh, like what are the options of getting this kind of data? You know, like and and or what can I do with this? Or what can we do to better kind of accommodate this stuff? Because like there's there's the simple things which is plan for it and you know those kind of things. But as we've learned with any part of a game that we put out there it's we don't know how the player is going to how how our player base is going to interact with what we give them right so from just our regular players we see things we're like oh we didn't expect people to do that um and then no, being able no. to Play, players do things that you literally never have thought of yeah like, all the time <laughs> all all the time it's amazing yeah and terrifying terrifyingly amazing <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> you're right about that because half of my job as a designer is trying to anticipate that stuff and make sure the game doesn't break when they do it, right? But, you know, seeing the way that they kind of complete goals and, and you know, the, here's this curvy path we made for you and you found a way to go straight through it. Like, so seeing how people will interact with something that I put in front of them that I was not considering at all, like I would love to to figure out ways to to kind of parse that data better and understand who are those people that are doing this? Why are they doing it? And how could I either fix that or at least know for the future not to make that mistake again? Yeah, and that that's something that's also really important to us at Xbox. So we have, um, we actually have a user research group that is just players with disabilities that we do specialized testing with. But actually the other thing that we have is we have a flight ring um, that we literally can just flight stuff just to players with disabilities and be like, hey, can you look at this? Like, we're, we're like, how how does this feel? What is happening? Um, and it literally is because the they are an amazingly creative bunch that will find workarounds to things that, number one, you didn't even realize was a problem, and number <laughs> two, in ways that you never even thought of. And then, it, you know, it goes to, like, they're how you intended people to play the game. And then there is how people right. play the game. Right. And, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of, of user research of not just players with disabilities, but in general, mm -hmm. um, because you learn just so much by watching what people are doing when they're playing your game. And uh, honestly, one of the biggest things is like, you know what you're building and there is knowledge that you have in your head that you can never figure out if you know that, like, do you know that because you're the one that made it? Or did you know that because you clearly communicated in game how to do it? Right. Um, and it's really hard to divorce yourself from that sometimes. So that's that's why I'm just like, put put it in front of Bebek Cruise as early as you can. Um, because if you don't know what you don't know, I mm -hmm. guess. <laughs> Absolutely. It's hard, though, right? Because it's hard not to take it personally when someone is 
not liking the thing you're putting in front of them or not, not at all understanding. And you're like, why don't you see the thing that's right in front of, you know, like it's, you have to, you have to divorce yourself from those feelings and, and really just focus on this is going to make this better. Right. Like, and, and of course we always have to, I always tell people any kind of feedback like that, you have to, you know, you have to understand what, what they're trying to convey or that this might be an outlier or, you know, like you've got to, you know, make sure that you know, that the, that the data you're getting is accurate. Right. But, but still like it's, it's a, uh, it can be very eye opening and sometimes require major changes based on what you see from some of those early play tests. And that's when you want to know, you don't want to know after it's shipped. And that's usually when you find out. Oh yeah. That's it. I, I've, um, I will say working at Xbox, I have um, the some of the best user researchers that I have ever worked with. And honestly, one of the things that they're so great at is, uh, you know, they're the intermediary between us and the player. And they are able to take those like hard truths sometimes and then make them like real action items you feel empowered to do. And that's kind of like the, the magic of having a, a great user research team but that but that is a skill because especially if you're if you're the designer and you're watching someone like if you were if you don't have that intermediary person who's going to like report back or mm -hmm. like let you watch a video or something later like all you want to do is get in there and like point and be like yep. no 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 like yeah. go to the kids just, <laughs> just 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 and like you can't do that um, i mean there, there's a point like if they're lost enough like yeah you can help you you've got the point they don't know what's happening but like no your first instinct is like let me help you let me mm -hmm. let me let me help you let me help you but you can't you can't do that it's hard it's really hard and i've been in that exact moment so many times and it's really funny too because like we've we've done it through many different like we'll have demographics right that we'll use it's like okay we're just gonna have females in here today we're just gonna have people that are 50 and older we never had that in my experience, we never had like people that needed accessibility, uh, you know, requirements or things that, you know, that were separate from this. So like, I, I'm, I'm hoping and wondering if that's becoming more common now or, or, you know, how, cause like we do focus, focus tests in specific ways, right? Like we're looking for a very specific kind of information. And it seems like those groups is something we should absolutely be trying to make sure we're getting information from. No, they definitely are. And we also know that sometimes that's, it can be a little bit daunting and a little bit hard to engage a new community if you don't always already have those connections. Um, there are groups that you can use, like the Able Gamers player panels, like are a great way to get connected with players with disabilities. Um, but even at Xbox, one of the things that we uh, announced earlier this year is we now offer a testing service um, that you can, like, if you can get us a mostly playable build. I mean, does it? I'm not talking. It doesn't have to be anywhere near final. We will actually run it um, test-wise against our accessibility guidelines and tell oh. you where it does and does not match. But we also have um, gamers with disabilities as part of our test crew. And so you will get direct feedback from gamers with disabilities in addition to this, like, like literal, like, test plan against the Xbox accessibility guidelines. Because, like, we know at Xbox, like, we're lucky, number one, to have the resources to organize all this and do all this testing and have those connections and have a lab where we can bring people in and we like we know that literally not everyone can do that especially if you're a small team or an indie like the amount of work it takes to organize that alone could be completely restrictive mm. man that's great i love i love that that we're at a place where companies are 
are thinking about this, you know, and, and not just thinking, but, but really devoting resources to, to figuring it out and, and to helping like, cause that's not something that most developers, especially, well, they, they potentially could, but they're probably not putting resources into that kind of thing yet. Uh, or hopefully it's getting better, but understanding that, Hey, you know, we can build something that a lot of you are going to use, just utilize it. That's, that's really nice. I like that a lot. What, um, what is kind of the, the next, kind of the next thing you, like the very next thing you want to like see kind of happening in this space? Like, like kind of is, do you have a focus right now of something that you're, you're pushing with or, or excited about? Um, I like, I can't, I can't say, <laughs> uh, so I mean like so many game developers, my best work is under NDA. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. That that's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can, I can say that there are some things that we're releasing like literally in the next couple of days, I'm excited about their additional resources for developers. Um, but I think a lot of the goodness and things I'm most excited about, unfortunately, I'm not quite, I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. Yeah. Or at least Microsoft's not ready for me to talk about it. But that means you know it's something good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because they make me keep secret stuff that's cool. Well, you know I'm not going to be someone to push you for information. So that's uh, that's exciting to know. Uh, so the stuff that's coming out in the next couple of days, where's the the best way to hear about that? Is there like a like a press conference type thing that's happening, or where, what's the right way? We we will have up tomorrow on the um, Xbox Wire um, everything that that's coming. So we're going to be having um, information on our Accessibility Insiders League, which is uh, that testing ring that I was just talking about, um, how people can join it. Um, we're talking about how we updated a bunch of stuff for um, accessibility. We're having our own GAD Twitch stream. We have some really cool things that are coming out of um, Undead Labs, and uh, they did a, it's called an inclusive design sprint, where they worked uh, directly with, you know, gamers with disabilities. Uh, we we have some games that are coming, uh, that we're going to be highlighting in our store that have done some great accessibility work. Uh, charities that you can support, um, wallpapers you can download. Uh, yeah, and all of this will be part of a blog post with links out to all of the stuff that you can catch uh, tomorrow. That's awesome. And I'll make sure that we get stuff in our discord. Uh, for those of you that aren't there, you need to jump in our discord and uh, join our conversation throughout the week. That's <laughs> a little quick plug there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so what, um, what else is on your mind? Like what is, is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that, that you want to make sure we talk about? This is your time. <laughs> you know, I, I, th I think really, I just challenge everyone to think about accessibility as early as possible. There's no such thing as too early. Like I said, there are so many things that if you consider accessibility from the beginning, you can make accessible and it literally does not impact your timeline or schedule. Um, when accessibility becomes hard is when you try to retrofit it. Like, mm. please let that be the takeaway. Think about it from the beginning. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like there, there were people who will shepherd you down your accessibility journey. Please, please, please reach out, whether it's to me, whether it's to an accessibility advocate, whether it's just like using, you know, the accessibility testing that we have at Xbox or whatever, like 
please like everyone just wants games to be more accessible and we will help you just literally say you need help and like 20 people will come out of the woodwork <laughs> like they're to support you you just have to say you need help and someone will show up so yeah just think about it ask for help we will be there for you yeah i will say this is a group that seems to be very passionate right like it's uh, it's definitely a welcoming group and I'm someone who I'm not afraid to ask a, a dumb question, you know, because like, I know what, I know that I don't know things and I don't care if I look like an idiot asking a question, maybe the wrong way or, you know, not, not being, you know, not knowing exactly how to ask the right way. Um, so I always appreciate when I can talk to someone like you and just be like, Hey, here's, here's what I think about this. And then get back a, Oh no, you're not an idiot. Like here's, here's where we're at with this. You know, let me help you. That's, that's always a great vibe. And I, I see that a lot through, through this, you know, through the accessibility uh, community, every time that I, I check in on it and see what's going on out there. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, there are no dumb questions. And even if your preconceived notion is wrong, as long as you take that feedback and course correct, people are going to be totally supportive. Right. Like, if I tell you, like, oh, I wouldn't do that, that's actually, like, bad, and you're like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's not great. But if you're like, oh, I understand, or, hey, I'm still struggling, like, can you walk me through it? Like, people will be there. Um, yeah, no, so, uh, funny enough, we talked about Steve Saylor at the very beginning of Friends with Steve. Um, Steve and I are going to be doing a Global Accessibility Awareness Day stream on the Xbox Twitch channel tomorrow. So, yes. That's awesome. So, if people do want to reach out to you, uh, what's a good way for them to do that? Or what method would you prefer? Uh, you should harass me on Twitter. Um, that's the primary communication. If you want something more work-related, um, like you have a question about Xbox accessibility or you want help with any of the many programs I've listed today, you can email us at access at microsoft.com and that goes to several people who work on the accessibility team but if you just want to ask me a question or get resources from me and anything else i've listed if you cannot wait uh for them to be posted in the notes of this podcast yeah just <laughs> harass me on twitter yeah we'll definitely have to get a comprehensive list uh, work on that together before we post this next week there's a lot of great stuff there so I feel like we've, we've covered most of the things that, that we wanted to talk about, but before we go, is there anything else that's on your mind or will you want to make sure that people know about before we go? I mean, not like again, tomorrow it's GAD global accessibility awareness day, hashtag G A A D. Uh, so if you want to see all of the amazing things that are happening in accessibility and tech, definitely be checking that out on social media. Um, and if you just want to learn more about gaming and accessibility, you know, again, you can, you can watch the Xbox stream tomorrow where we will have uh, Steve Saylor and it's going to be awesome. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, yes. Big hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Always appreciate having you on. I'm sure we'll find another opportunity to do it again in the near future. Uh, but for now, thank you. I'm going to jump over and say my goodbyes and I will talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for having me anytime. Absolutely. Later. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jamison Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. 
Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon.